All right, before I launch into my message this morning, I want to greet all of you that are watching us online this morning, whether you're on vacation, whether you're home, whether you're watching on our website or um, Facebook Live page today. We're just glad you're joining us. Pray that you pull out your Bible and follow along with us some of the verses that we're reading. Uh, before I launch into this this morning, I want to address the men here in the church. Um, men, do you know that you were uniquely called by God to spiritual leadership? Uh, you were called to spiritually lead your own life. You're called by God, to, if you're married, to spiritually lead your wife and lovingly guide her spiritually. You're called to lovingly, if you have children, lead your children spiritually. If you're not married, you don't have kids or whatever, if you're just in the workplace, you're called to be a leader, a spiritual leader in the workplace. So my question this morning is, what, what steps are you taking to equip yourself for that spiritual leadership, that call of God upon your life, to effectively lead people? Um, we have a ministry here for our men. It's called Disciples Made. And there's two different courses in Disciples Made. There's Followers Made, and then there's Leaders Made. Um, the Followers course is the first course, and then if you want to continue on, you can go into the, the Leaders class. Uh, but in that, in that course, Disciples Made, you're going to learn how to study God's Word on a daily basis, how to read the Bible, how to, how to write questions down that you're asking in the Bible. Uh, once a week, you come together with, with other men. You'll, you'll be in a group of about 12 guys. Followers are there for six months. Leaders are there for nine to ten months. And you, just, you, you bring your questions and you learn in community with other guys to talk about spiritual truth and to come to an understanding of that. Um, if, you've, if you've not been a part of, of Disciples Made, can I just strongly encourage you to pray about that? There's also t a table out in, in Grand Central this morning, our, our lobby, where you can ask questions about what that program looks like. Man, I strongly encourage you guys, if you haven't done it, to consider taking a step to equip yourselves for the spiritual leadership that God has called each, each one of you to. All right, as you just saw, we are continuing a series here this morning called That's a Great Question. Every week we're taking a question, either a cultural issue or a biblical uh, theological issue, and we're answering that question. The, the reason we're doing this series, one, we want you to grow deeper in your knowledge of the Bible. Two, we want you to feel confident stepping into, into conversations with people in your relational world about cultural issues or theological issues and share with them from a biblical perspective. And the third thing is, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, man, our prayer is that these messages would bring you one step closer to surrendering your heart fully to Jesus Christ. And, and the question we're going to answer today is, why does evil exist? Why does evil exist? Let's pray. Lord, we've all been touched by evil. We've all been uh, gone in through seasons and times of suffering and pain. Sometimes we don't understand it. And so, Lord, we, we need your, your grace this morning. We need your wisdom this morning. We need your truth to help us to navigate this difficult part of life. And so, Holy Spirit, I trust you to do that, to speak to each person that's here, each person that's watching online, to help us uh, understand what it means to walk in victory over darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.
Just flip on the news almost any day, and you're going to hear a report of some type of disaster, some type of evil, death, destruction in people's lives. Evil is all around us, and we're all affected by it in some way. Um, I'm on the board of Call to Freedom. Uh, it's an organization that rescues people from human trafficking. I, I know all too well the horrific results and statistics of people who are exploited through human trafficking. Human trafficking is evil. In the last two years, I've buried five children here at Central from ages 39 weeks to 13 years. It's absolutely devastating when you sit with parents, siblings, and families who just lost a child, and there's no answers to that. Um, as a pastor, I have to deal with uh, domestic violence issues, unfortunately. I have to deal with sexual assault issues here in the church. I've had several close and personal friends attempt suicide. One was successful in taking his life. I, like you, I've had friends, close friends and family members that have suffered with and died from cancer or other horrific diseases. Do you ever look at the world around you? Do you ever look at your own life and the people that you care about and just ask the question, why, Lord? Like, like why, why, the, why all the darkness? Why all the death? Why all the suffering? If you're asking those questions, you're, you're not alone. Uh, other people are asking those very same questions today. Here's what Scripture says. First John chapter 5. John says, we know that we are children of God in Christ, and yet the world around us is under the power or the control or the influence of the evil one, a reference to Satan and demonic powers, under the influence and control. Genesis chapter 6. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally what? Evil. Evil in the human heart leads to human decisions, uh, evil decisions and evil actions. Isaiah 59, God says, no one cares about being fair and honest. The people's lawsuits are based on lies. They conceive evil deeds and then give birth to sin. Evil is all around. It's within the human heart. We can't escape it. We're all affected in some way by it. And as I've been, been studying and walking through this, I thought, how do we define evil? Like, how do we wrap our head around that? How would you explain to someone, well, well this is evil? And, and I've come across three definitions that I really like. They're all a little bit different, although there, there's some similarity to them. Maybe you'll connect with or identify with one of these definitions. Evil is anything that causes a person to experience significant pain and suffering in life. Anything that causes significant suffering and pain in life. Another definition is, is evil is anything that violates the moral nature of God, the character of God. It, it goes against who God is. And so when that's the case, we find ourselves saying things like, it's not supposed to be this way. God didn't intend it this way. Or it, it's not right. It's not fair. This, this is an injustice when, when God's moral nature is violated. Or, or another definition, evil is, is anything that leaves someone with a lifelong physical or emotional limp. In other words, as a result of that evil or that event, they're, they're, they're kind of just limping through life. They'll never be the same as a result of whatever that was in life. You know, some people don't believe in God because of the issue of suffering and evil. They, they look at the world and they say that 
God can't exist, or he would do something about all of this. Their argument goes something like this. A perfectly powerful God can prevent evil. A perfectly good God must prevent evil. Hold it there for a sec. No, just go back. No. There we go. A perfectly good God must prevent evil. If God is good, he wouldn't allow the things that are happening, which leads us to the next point in their argument. If a perfectly powerful and perfectly good God exists, there would be no evil, they say. But there is evil, therefore God cannot exist. So they reject the knowledge of God, the concept that God exists on the basis of the evil and suffering that they see in the world. If God were all-powerful, if God were good, then he would certainly not allow this to happen in the world. You know, we as Christians, we have a similar argument. Not quite the same, but here's how the Christian argument goes. God has the power to stop all evil. He is sovereign over everything and fully in control. If God were good, he would stop all evil. There is evil, therefore God is not what? Good. He may be all-powerful, but if he were good, he would stop the evil that's happening. The problem with these arguments is they are suggesting that God could never use evil for a good purpose, that God could never allow or harness evil for a better reason in life, that, that, it, that it, it can't ever serve any good purpose. And so I want to talk about that this morning. You know, the, the, traditionally, there, there are three types of evil, or we, we might even call them sources of evil. The, the first is what we call moral evil, moral evil. Moral evil has to do with human choices. It has to do with human choices. Now, God has lovingly and graciously given you and me and all of humanity free will. We are free moral agents. We can choose to love God or not love God. We can choose to obey God or not obey God. We, we can choose to do good or we can choose to do evil. Now, if, if God were going to prevent all evil in the world, he would have to remove your free will and my free will, which isn't a good thing. Do you want to be a robot? Do you want to be pre-programmed to respond to everything in life? Or do you want the ability to respond freely? Because God loves you, God freely gives you the opportunity to choose. You're a free moral agent. See, God didn't create evil. God created the possibility of evil. And we can choose evil in life. Uh, under that canopy of moral evil, which has to do with human choice, I suggest there's two layers to that. The, the first choice is what I call evil choices. Evil choices are choices that people make to intentionally harm other people. Here's what the scripture says. Proverbs chapter 6. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven that he detests. Haughty or proud eyes. A disposition that says, I'm better than you. I'm more important than you. God despises that. A lying tongue, the choice to lie about someone or about a situation for your own benefit, which may hurt somebody else. Hands that kill the innocent. A heart that plots or plans evil. Feet that race to do wrong. A false witness who pours out 
lies at the expense of someone else. And a person who sows discord in a family under this canopy of, of moral evil is, is the ability to make evil choices. So, so I can choose to walk into a movie theater and pull out a gun and start shooting people. I can choose to bully another student at school. I, I can choose to, instead of driving my car on the street, to pull up on the sidewalk and mow down pedestrians. I, I have the ability to make evil choices in life. And that's one of the reasons that, that evil exists, this concept of moral evil. Other than evil choices, the, the second layer to this that I see is what I call unwise choices. Unwise choices. These are not choices that are necessarily evil in intent. In other words, when you make the decision, you're not trying to hurt anybody or harm anybody, but they could result in evil. Unwise choices violate some natural law. There could be disaster or evil or destruction or injury or death because of a result of that decision, even though the decision itself wasn't intended for evil. That's what Satan tempted Jesus with in the, in the, the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4, here's what we read. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. He said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, and there Satan quotes to Jesus, Psalm 91, God will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Satan twisted that scripture. We're going to look at that scripture in a few minutes. Um, Jesus responded and said, the, the scriptures also say you must not test or tempt the Lord your God. D don't put God in a situation where if, if he doesn't save you from that, then you die or, or evil's going to happen in your life. In other words, don't take the risk. Don't, don't violate natural laws if it could possibly end up in disaster. So, so we, we have the right or the freedom to make unwise choices in life. So I love me some beach. I, I love going to Huntington Beach when I'm in California. I can go out and lay on the beach for hours with no sunscreen, no sunblock. That could lead to evil in my life. That could lead to cancer in my life. I wasn't intending, I was just trying to enjoy the beach, but that, that recognition of natural laws that, hey, if you're overexposed to the sun, that could cause a horrific disease in your life. We eat all the time foods that we know are not good for us. We imbibe things that are destructive to our bodies. They taste really good. They maybe make us feel really good, but they're unwise, and they can lead to heart disease. They can lead to stroke. They can lead to cancer. They can lead to diabetes, yet we do that all the time. Reports come out about certain foods and things that are they're unhealthy for us, but we don't recognize that. So we're sort of taking a risk when we do that in our lives. I, I, can, I don't drink alcohol, but, but hypothetically, I could take a few drinks of alcohol and choose to get into a car and drive. My intention is not evil. My intention is just to get home. It's not to hurt anybody, but it's violating some natural laws that, that when alcohol gets into your system, it impairs your vision. It slows down your reflexes. You respond much slower than you would normally. I can get in an accident on the way home and kill people. My, my unwise choice of doing that could result in disaster and suffering and evil for someone else. These are, these are unwise choices that we make in life. You know, sometimes sports even puts us in situations where we could get seriously hurt or injured. There's a risk 
There's an element of risk with the choice to play sports, especially professional sports. Uh, Taylor Ward it, it plays for the Los Angeles Angels. This last week, he got hit in the face with a 92-mile-an-hour fastball. Broke, shattered all the bone, facial bones that he had. Uh, he's out for the season. He may be done for life. The doctor said uh, an inch or so closer to the eye, he'd be blind. A, a, a little bit more center to his skull could have killed him instantly. Am I saying don't play baseball? No, I'm saying we can make choices that place us in harm's way. We can, we can make choices that, that maybe aren't the wisest. It's not wrong to play baseball. It's wrong to get hit in the face with a 92-mile-an-hour fastball. Serious injury could come, yet that's one of the risks that we take. So we, we make these choices in life, and they could lead to evil or destruction. The second type of evil after moral evil is natural evil. Natural evil isn't caused by human choice. It's, it's natural, natural disasters, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, getting struck by lightning, uh, plagues, pandemics. Those are not things that we choose. They're not choices, but they're just part of living in a fallen world. And then the third type of evil is spiritual evil. Spiritual evil is, is Satan's influence, 1 John 5, 19. The whole world's under the power of the evil one, demons, Satan, Forces of spiritual darkness in the heavenly places have an influence on us in our lives. So, so moral evil, natural evil, and spiritual evil affect us and affect the level of evil in the world. So the question I want to touch on just for a few minutes is why does God allow this? Why does God allow suffering and evil in life? I'm going to give you four quick points. The first is this. God doesn't allow all evil. God doesn't allow all evil. The goodness of God is seen in the fact that he restrains evil. I think he actually restrains most evil in life. Here's what Psalm 91 says. Surely God will save you from the fowler's snare, the trap, and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. God's faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling place, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Do, do verses like that in the Bible mean we will never be touched by evil? Does it mean we will never suffer? Does it mean we'll, we'll never experience heartache? Absolutely not. What does that verse teach us? Or what do those verses teach us? That God does protect us for the most part. That God in his goodness doesn't allow all evil to creep into our lives. But he is a refuge. He is a fortress. He is a deliverer. So we should pray for protection from God because that's his nature. But he doesn't always protect in any and every situation. We're going to talk about why that is in a minute. But that was the case of Job in the Old Testament. You remember the story of Job. Jo jo uh, Satan goes before God, and God says, hey, have you, have you considered my servant Job? Great guy. And Satan says, yeah, he's a great guy because you put a fence around him, because you built this, this hedge around him of protection. If you lower that hedge and let me at him, he'll curse you to your face. God says, okay, take his possessions, but don't touch his life. Satan goes into the world. Satan strips from, from Job all of the things that are important to him in life, but he doesn't touch his health his health. Job doesn't curse God. Job blesses God. 
Satan goes back to God and, and God says to Satan, how'd that work out for you with my servant Job? He says, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the thing, though. Anybody can, can you know, praise you and not curse you if, if their health isn't touched. But touch their health, touch their life, and he'll curse you to your face. God says, okay, touch his health, but don't take his life. Satan comes back down, inflicts all these boils and all of these nasty diseases on Job. Job doesn't curse God. Job blesses God. What's the point of that story, that interaction with God and Satan? God restrains evil. God controls evil. God has protection around our lives like he did with Job. Satan can't do anything and everything he wants in your life. Evil is not going to attack you or influence you apart from God allowing it, which leads us to point number two. God may be working a greater good in your suffering, in your pain, in your evil. God may be working a greater good. And this is what's really hard to understand when you're in pain. How could there be a greater good? And yet, the goodness of God is often seen in the fact that he has a higher good for our suffering than we might understand, that God is working something greater. It's, in theological terms, it's called theodicy, theodicy. It's a compound word. Theos means God. Dikaios means righteous or just or blameless. Theodicy means God is just in his decision. God is fair in his, his decision to do something. In this case, God is just to allow evil or suffering in our life because he's working it for a greater good. And, and God did that throughout the Bible. He, he did it in the life of a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember Joseph? He had, he had 11 brothers, son of Jacob. Uh, Joseph went through hell. Joseph was severely mistreated by his brothers. They didn't like him because he bragged about his future. They threw him in a pit, left him for dead. Then they felt bad about it. They went back. They said, no, we could probably make some money off of him. Pull him out of the pit. They sell him to Ishmaelite traders that were going to Egypt. When Joseph gets to Egypt, he's bought by Potiphar. And then he's falsely accused of raping Potiphar's wife. So he gets thrown into, into, into jail. Musty, mildew-filled jail. Horrific circumstances. He's there for a couple of years. Suffering through that. Eventually, Joseph becomes the second in command of the whole land of Egypt incredibly significant position, but he went through hell to get there. He suffered immensely, rejected by his family, physical issues in the prison, falsely accused, all of that. And here's what he says in Genesis chapter 50. He says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for what? For good. Moral evil. You, you chose to hurt me. You thought that, that you were going to destroy me. That was what was in your heart. But it didn't happen that way. God protected me. God preserved me for a good purpose. He brought me to this position, second in command in Egypt, so I could save the lives of many people, including you. Jo Joseph said, I, I, I went through this because God had a greater plan. G God wanted to bless and affect a lot of other people. And even though there was evil in your heart, even though I went through a tough time, God used this for a significant way. If you remember the story in, of Joseph, uh, in Egypt, there were seven years of bountiful crops. And in that time, Joseph instructed everybody to store up the crops and was followed by seven years of famine. So every, all of those lives were saved because of Joseph and his wisdom when he was the second in command in Egypt. They had food provisions later in life because of Joseph. So in Joseph's case, God allowed evil for a higher or good purpose to save the lives of many. Jesus is the same example. Same example of evil being inflicted upon somebody for a higher good. 
In Jesus' case, he went to the cross. In Jesus' case, he was humiliated. No one in human history suffered as much as Christ because he not only suffered physically, he not only suffered emotionally, but he suffered spiritually. When on the cross, he took the wrath of God for human sin. And he bore all of the shame, all of the guilt, all of the yuckiness of humanity's sin on himself. Jesus went through more suffering forever. And yet he did it because there was a higher purpose. How many of you that are Christians, you're glad this morning that Jesus paid the price to forgive your sin and give you eternal life? Is anybody grateful this morning? So the cross was the most horrific evil that could ever happen. A perfectly innocent person dies a horrific death for the guilty, for you and for me. We're, we're glad about that. And again, Jesus is an example of God using evil for a greater good in life. Um, so what do we do? We're, we're, we're dealing with suffering and pain and evil in life. And we're not yet at the point where we see the good. We don't yet understand the higher good or the higher purpose that God is. We're just, we're just stuck in pain. What do we do at that point? We, we lean into the wisdom of God. We, we lean into the, 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 the incredible uh, knowledge and understanding of God. Here's what Paul says in Romans 11. Paul says, oh, how, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Now, let me pause there because it's not true that we, we never understand the ways of God. Just sometimes we may not, or maybe temporarily we don't understand the ways of God. But, but my, my experience has been that, that after time, we begin to see how God used that as I look back in my life, how God used my suffering, how God used the evil against me in my life for a greater good. But, 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 but it's impossible to understand his ways and decisions. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? Who knows enough to say, that wasn't right? That wasn't fair, that wasn't good. When we don't know everything that's going on in that situation and down the road, how that's going to profoundly affect a multitude of people. Are you willing to allow God to use your suffering? Are you willing to allow God to use your story and your pain for a higher good? Because he will if you let him. As horrific as you've experienced as you've gone through, God will use that for his glory. God will use that to impact many lives if you will allow him to. The, the third thing, is um, evil reminds us that earth is not our home. Evil reminds us that earth is not our home. The goodness of God is seen in the discomforts of life. The goodness of God is seen in the discomforts of life. Not necessarily the comforts of life. We, when we are uncomfortable, when we suffer, when we experience pain, we look for something better we look for a better place. And God wants us as we go through this life to realize we are just aliens. We are just exiles. This is not our home. We are looking forward to the to place God has prepared for us in eternity. This life is really short compared to eternity. Our priority has to be heaven, not this life. And sometimes discomfort and pain can encourage us to look toward something better in life. Here's what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, let me just stop there for a second. Now, if you're over 50, you understand exactly what he's talking about, right? I mean, we're waking up with aches and pains. We can hardly walk. We can hardly stretch. Things aren't working like they used to work. You know what I'm saying? We, we understand, even though our spirit's being renewed, our bodies are breaking down. 
And as your bodies break down, you begin to look for something better. Yeah, Lord, I know I've just got a short time here on earth. I can handle the knee problems. I can handle the hip problems. I I can handle some of these issues in my life because I know that there's a way better place that I'm going to. Paul says, even though our, our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long compared to eternity. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. God wants us to look ahead to something better. The goodness of God is also seen in suffering when people suffer and are in pain and it it forces them to look to God for help. You know, I I can't tell you how many people in in 40 years of ministry that, that I've experienced came to Christ or came back to Christ or made a decision to change their life based on suffering and evil, whether it was a death of someone they they loved deeply, whether it was a disease that they were struggling with, whether it was a painful divorce, whether it was the the rejection or alienation of one of their children, whatever it was, a a radical breakup. I mean, and suddenly they're in pain. And in order to to heal that pain or comfort that pain, they've they've tried everything else. Now, Now they turn to God. And sometimes God allows pain and suffering to open our eyes to the reality that he's there and that he cares about us. Sometimes pain is our best friend. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, says this. He says, pain insists upon being attended to. (laughs) It just keeps yelling at us. I ain't going away. I'm not going away. Deal with me. It wants to be attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. God speaks to us in our consciences, but God shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world, a world that desperately needs God. Sometimes God allows us to go through prolonged suffering and pain, so we'll finally say there's got to be something better. When when I'm sick or when I have intense pain that doesn't go away, I go to the doctor. How many of you all go to the doctor when you got something wrong that you need pain for? Nobody does? Okay, you should probably. Because I I want that pain to go away. I want that pain to be relieved. And there is a spiritual pain in people's hearts that that won't be relieved until they turn to God. So sometimes God allows that to go on so that people will turn to him in their hearts. And and the the last point that I want to make is that uh, evil allows, where are we? Oh, God's goodness to shine. Evil allows God's goodness to shine in our lives. Did you know that evil creates a need for goodness, for God's goodness? Sin creates the need for forgiveness. If someone sins against you, it requires that you, in goodness, forgive them. When we sin against God, in his goodness, he forgives us. Suffering creates the need for sympathy. When someone around us that we see is suffering, it it evokes a sense of sympathy toward them. Poverty around us creates the need for compassion or generosity. Grief creates the need for comfort. When we come upon the grieving, it it draws out of us the comfort that God wants to give. That's an expression of his goodness. Despair creates the need for hope. See, See, suffering and evil gives us the opportunity to shine brightly for Christ. Jesus said this in in, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a table 
and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds or your light shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When we are going through difficult times, and we will in life, the light of Christ shines most brightly in the midst of our darkness. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, that's when Christ shows himself to be stronger than ever. You know, as, as Christians, we are not to be conquered by evil. Did you know that? The Bible says we're to conquer evil with good. Paul said that in Romans 12, 21. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. We are not to succumb to evil. We are, we are not to live in bitterness. We are not to live in, in, in ill feelings and um, anger, but we are to live in the light of Christ. So, so when we remain hopeful in our lives, while we're in the midst of despair, we conquer evil with good. When, when we find joy and express joy in the midst of sorrow, we conquer evil with good. When we forgive those that have injured us, we conquer evil with good. When we choose to love those that have betrayed us, we conquer evil with good. When we pray for our abusers, we conquer evil with good. When we praise God in the midst of our pain, we conquer evil with good. When we hold firmly to our faith, despite the fact that our world has been rocked and turned upside down, we conquer evil with good. Jesus Christ gives us the power to conquer evil. If you're suffering today, I want to encourage you. We're going to have some folks up here at the end just to pray for you. If you'd like to have someone come alongside you and share some of that grief, share some of that burden, share some of that pain, we, we sure want to do that with you today. You may be here this morning. And, and God may be trying to get your attention with his megaphone in your life saying, I'm here, and you're not yet willing to turn to him for the desperate help that you need. Maybe today's the day you turn to God and surrender your life fully to Christ. Let me ask you the question, if, if God wanted to use the evil that's happened in your life for a greater good, would you let him? If like Jesus and like Joseph, God grieved with the heartache that you went through when evil inflicted your life, but he wanted to, to bring good into that through your life. He wanted to use your story to bring healing and hope to other people. Would you allow him to do that? Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that you don't allow all evil. We're grateful that you protect us, that you put a fence around us. And yet, Lord, there are times that you do allow evil into our lives. And so, Lord, for those that may be struggling today, I, I pray that, that you would help them to recognize that you are able to bring a greater good in the midst of pain. Help us to understand today, God, you are for us and not against us. Help us to, to, to take that and to realize this, this world is imperfect and the only perfect world happens when we, after we die and go to heaven. And we long for that time. We, we look forward to that day. And Lord, I pray that by the, the power of Christ, you would help us this week to shine your light brightly, no matter what we're going through. And help us, Lord, to conquer evil with good. In Christ's name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a great, great day.